Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The jazz session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. Today's guests are the members of the Dan Loomis Quartet, bassist Dan Loomis, trumpeter Eli Asher, drummer Jared Schoenig, and saxophonist Robin Verheyen. Uh, Robin I hadn't met before, but Eli, Jared, and Dan I've known for a long time, uh, and uh, was really happy to get a chance to check out this quartet when they were in Albany recently for a jazz festival. We recorded this interview in the trailer, which was right next to the stage. Uh, there were a number of kind of RVs backstage since there weren't any buildings around uh, to use for the artists. And so while we were recording this interview, the Dirty Dozen Brass Band uh, was actually playing on the stage uh, just feet away. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's the reality of the audio landscape, but uh, I don't think it takes away from what really was a fascinating conversation with these guys uh, who have a lot of smart things to say about the music. Uh, they actually have not recorded a record this particular foursome, but Dan's previous uh, quartet did, and this is what it sounded like.
My guests are uh, bassist Dan Loomis, saxophonist Robin Verheyen, drummer Jared Schoenig, and trumpeter Eli Asher. They've just finished a set. Uh, well, let's not front. We're, we're in a, a camping camper of some sort, a rented camper on the Hudson River behind the stage where the Dirty Dozen Brass Band is about to play. So I can only imagine that seconds from now this interview is going to get a lot more sonically interesting. But uh, guys, thanks very much for being on the show. Welcome to the jazz session. It's our pleasure. And for, for actually three of the four of you, welcome back. And Robin, welcome for the first time. You're a, a jazz session virgin, and I'll edit that out later. Um, so this uh, Eli was telling me, and I didn't realize this, that this was actually the first time the four of you played together as a quartet. So, uh, Dan, maybe we can start with you and just talk about the, the music that you played, the repertoire that you guys uh, played today. It sounded like it was all original composition. It was all you. original compositions. Um, and it's a fresh batch. Uh, this group, under this name, the Dan Lewis Quartet, existed for a while, did a couple albums. Um, was, by and large, standards. We did standards and tunes by jazz composers um, that we loved. And everyone brought in arrangements to the group. And everyone contributed a lot to the group. It was very much a collective experience, um, and hasn't been working for a while. This group did uh, did the record I Love Paris in 2006. Is that right, Jerry? Yeah, I think so. 2006 or early 2007. Um, did a tour around that, and then just taken a hiatus. Um, Jared and I have been working together in some other groups in the We Trio, and then uh, so we we had some other projects going on. Uh, but I wanted to bring it back with this gig, and so I had a new batch of music and uh, put together a new formation of this group. Uh, had Robin and Eli bring a lot to it, and so this music was it was yeah. Uh, this music was written over the really like the last year and a half for me, and was just. Uh, an attempt to kind of capture the energy of the group as it was before, and then add some new textures, um, some more orchestral colors, um, and just more nuance to the music. Yeah, I, I just Dan, if we can just stay with with you for a second, I I really loved the uh, you know the lack of a chordal instrument. Well, other than you, obviously. Uh, can be the chordal instrument, but for the most part, uh, the, the two-horn drum and bass. We can talk about the that instrumentation. Why you made that decision? That's always been my favorite instrumentation. Uh, since I was at Eastman, um, and Jared and I like to spend a lot of time playing uh, with that group of two saxophones, with tenor and alto, which is a great sound. Um, and actually, I originally put that group together because I love playing trio so much with both of those saxophone players, and that's the other instrumentation I really like is the cordless trio. Um, so I wanted to have that sound together, and so since then, that's been my favorite formation for a long time: is two horns and bass and drums. And I guess I just like the openness of it. I mean, there's times when I miss chords, and I do love having a piano player or a guitar player. Um, but I just really love the feeling. And here's the Dirty Dozen Brass Band. <laughs> Here they are. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a good time. We're gonna close mic this a little more now. <laughs> because uh, I'm just going to move your water and we'll just move the mic around as we need to. Get, get, get off now! <laughs> uh, Robin, uh, since you have actually never been on the jazz session before, which separates you from your bandmates, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, where you're from and how you uh, hooked up with uh, Dan Lucas. Well, a long story short, uh, I came to the United States about three years ago and uh, moved to New York. Tell and, people where uh, you came from. I came uh, from Paris, actually, uh, where I was living before, but I lived in different places in Europe before I, uh, I moved here. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, when I was in New York, um, 
I was playing with a drummer called Carlo Costa, Italian drummer who lives in New York also. And he had the great idea of putting a session together with me and Dan. And that's where we first met. And since then we've hooked up and we had done a couple of sessions with this band actually, I guess which is the origin of this formation. Um, and then uh, a while later, Dan called me and said, hey, do you want to do this gig with this quartet? So I said yes. Uh, Robin, will you talk a little bit about um, playing in this particular uh, instrument format? Uh, what kind of freedom does it offer you, uh, particularly, I would say, in the, in the improv- improvising sections? Uh, talk a little bit about that. As a horn player, there's a lot more harmonic freedom, obviously, playing without a piano or without a guitar. Um, it gives you more you're more in charge of shaping the music in a lot of different ways Um, you know obviously like in every band the more members you add to the band the more concessions you have to make and the great thing about a quartet with two horns is that you you're four but you can still kind of play like you would be with three people and then, so it, it, it creates a lot of freedom, you know, you can go a lot of directions and even though, you know, Dan chooses the bass notes, I can still choose what's going to be on top of it, so it gives me a lot of freedom, you know, I, I don't have to go with the chord that's written on the page, I can also go with something else and take it somewhere else. your compositions that are being featured on stage and especially during the improvisatory sections how do you uh, is it important to you to kind of maintain the the harmonic integrity of the compositions is that something you're focusing on or can the music go anywhere once the solo starts I really like it to be able to go anywhere and it, to me it's almost a challenge to push myself to try and break it up more because it's when it's my compositions I hear it in a certain way um, and so I'm almost more tempted to stick to the foundation and I really want this group or any cordless group that I play in to really be able to go in any direction uh, harmonically at any time. So for me, for me, it's a matter of like each gig that I do with my own group, I get more comfortable to kind of destroy my own compositions 
um, or just really open them up. And so I felt like we were actually getting to more of that as we played more and more this gig. So hopefully next gig will be even more. So we've destroyed them completely. <laughs> They're unrecognizable. I'm going to slide this over by your plate of food, gentlemen, if I may. And this is Jared Schoenig. Jared, welcome back to the show. It's great to, great to have you back. Thanks for having me. Talk always a pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. We talk a little bit about... Um, about your role in particular, I'm always interested when you get uh, kind of unconventional groupings of musicians together, how it changes the responsibility of any particular part of that team. Can you talk about uh, your particular role in this setting? Uh, yeah, I mean, always when I, when I play in a group with Dan, you know, we have a nice thing going. We've been playing, you know, for a long time together, so we're both very familiar with the way we play. Um, but when you get, you know, different musicians to make a group up, you know, we do a little rehearsing and we'll play a little bit, but then it's always, you know, it's always very cool to see how they play over us. So I, I generally tend to think of like Dan and myself as it, as like a whole, and then maybe Robin and Eli as a whole, or other two horns, but then as well as you know a trio with them too, and then just duos and different different stuff going around like that. Kind of like a couple that swings. A, a couple, we're a couple that swings. Don't edit that out. So for a trio. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of take take the role of of kind of figuring stuff out first, and then trying to add a little something extra over it. But you know, when when you have great players coming in the Dan Loomis group or whatever, you know, it, it always turns into something cool, especially as it's more of a collective and we're all doing our thing and playing together and playing a part. Yeah, I really like the collective aspect uh, of the music that a lot... Uh, Robin, I'm less f- familiar with, with the other th- projects that you're on, but I know the three of you and many of the other projects that you play with, and you all seem to bring that kind of collective spirit to that. Yeah. And you hear... I mean, I'm in a position just doing what I do to hear a gazillion different drummers play. Right. And there is a... There's kind of a group of drummers who listen really, really intently to what's going on around them, and that seems to make all the difference in the world. I mean, is that, is yeah. that half the fun for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm a, I'm a listener, and, and what's going on around me is, is what the inspiration is for me and hopefully for the rest of the musicians, because, yeah, I, I guess I learned it kind of at a young age, you know, it's better to listen than just play your own stuff. Um, or, or I could have been the, the opposite way and played my own stuff and then someone said, hey, try listening. <laughs> Which is probably more like it. It was... More it was, likely. It was, it was play softer and try listening, I think, is what I learned in, at least in high school at the beginning of college. But, you know, and then just coming, you know, coming to, to Eastman and hearing great drummers and what they could do in a situation with other musicians and just listening to people. I mean, it, it's just, that's what music and improvisation is about, to me, at least. Thanks, yeah. Jared. Cool. And I'm going to scoot over one more plate of food here to Eli Asher. Right. <laughs> Eli, what about a... What about a... Gr- oh! Knock, knock. That's the one with this thing. Hey. Hi. Oh, okay, you guys are not Joe's man, right? No. Okay. They'll right. be here eventually. Huh? They'll be here later. All right, thank you. So we're interviewing the members of Not Joe's Band. 
we'll be uh, we'll be playing later. You guys are not joking. What I really love is that she was able to open the door and instantly know that you guys are not the members of Joe Lovano's band. How is that possible? I guess she saw my uh, my Chuck Taylors. Okay, good. Because I was going to take some personal offense at the fact that she took one look at me opening the door and said, you're obviously not in Joe Lovano's band. Yeah, you're not Lovano yeah. material. Because no, no one dressed like you would be in Joe Lovano's band. Nice Chuck Taylor's, idiot. Um, uh, turning to trumpeter Eli Asher now. Eli, what about a setting like this is uh, is kind of particularly uh, either in- enjoyable or surprising for you? What is it, what is it allowed to happen for you on stage uh, in, a, in a quartet setting like this? That is a good question. Um, I would say, and I've been thinking about this a little bit, like, for me, Dan, I think, has a really consistent, Jared and I were talking about this, a really consistent musical vision, both as a whole, but also his pieces, his individual, individual pieces have a lot of integrity, and that they really, like, clearly have, you know, one or just, like, a smaller number of, you know, musical ideas, right? So it's like... So there's a lot to sink your teeth into because, like, the entire composition is, like... It's as if it's there to help you out because it's so, like, the the, the the compositions are solid and they're strong and they'll really, really clearly project, like, one mood, like, uh, one harmonic movement. I'm thinking of, like, your piece drop. It's, like, one, you know, like... Conceptually, the ideas, the musical ideas are all very strong and very clear. And not only that, but all of these guys understand them. It's like everybody's getting those ideas. So, you know, in a piece like, just to continue this example, like a piece like Drop, where the the number of bars changes in a predictable way, it's predictable to all of us, you know, so we're all on the same page. And, like, all of these different things, they're all happening together. So, like, the communication can really happen. Does the fact that you bring that up mean that it's not common for that to be the case? Well, I mentioned that it's like that his writing to me is focused in that way. And I think with other people, like their writing might be more eclectic or... But I think it's consistent and it's in in many ways. Like with harmony, it's like his harmonic uh, progressions are like, I can say streamlined and they make a lot of sense. Uh, which is not something that I can say of many other composers, you know, jazz composers. So it's like, it offers a lot of opportunity for us to like really feel like we have a pretty much a rock solid foundation on which to make some, like, for me, you know, this is another thing, a rock solid foundation to make some like really, it's just really good modern jazz, you know, and that's like, not really joy, that's it.
let me ask you just to expand on that a little bit. When you when you start writing for a band like this, is there a is there an end product in mind? You say this is the kind of stuff I'm going to write stuff in this musical genre, or I'm going to try and write stuff in this kind of harmonic language. Is are you thinking that far in advance, or is it? I really don't know how it works. I mean, how do how do you arrive at the consistency that Eli's talking about? Well, between the songs. I think that's just a product of me being me and having a an identifiable musical palette. Um, I don't I don't set out to write songs that uh, are connected in any in a certain way, but uh, they ended up being that way for this this concert. I mean, these are songs that I've written over, like I said, about 18 months uh, without the idea that I would write a set of music, but they went together really well as a set of music. Um, and, but as far as, like, in, within one song, yeah, usually I do have, like, one idea or, like, two ideas and, like, try and get that out. Like, Drop was, like, uh, a form that got one bar longer each time. And then Queek was a certain rhythm and a certain set of notes, like, 12 sets of notes, or a set of 12 notes and a certain rhythm. So it's, like, I often do have, like, one specific idea that I'm trying to explore which is each of these songs. And especially lately, like, this batch of songs... Each one is a pretty specific musical exploration. Like, I had a specific musical idea that I wanted to get better at or expand on or explore. Well, uh, which brings me to another thing. I, uh, I spent some time with uh, Vijay Iyer recently, and he was talking about a lot of, you know, the kind of mathematical complexities of the music that he writes. And I asked him this question, and I'll ask you, um, is it important for... I don't know, maybe important's the wrong word. Is it is it necessary for anyone else in the audience to understand what's happening uh, in the form or what the complex rhythms are in order for the music to, to work? It's not necessary for anyone to know that we're playing an 11-8, but it's necessary for it to feel like something and to have an impact um, and for it to feel distinct, for it to feel different than 4-4 feels. Um, so I think it's important for it, it to have its own mood, to have its own identity. And then, to me, it's also equally important that no matter how mathematically complex you get, um, that it sounds effortless and it's fun to play as a band. Or it's... Yeah, well, it's fun to play as a band. I was going to say, I want to, the idea that it has to be easy. Like, it can be very challenging. But it has to come off... The music can't get in the way of us playing together, basically. You know, like the hardest song we played was probably "Drop," as far as to keep track of, because it's like we don't have to keep track of forms that are getting longer and then getting shorter again and then getting longer and then getting shorter again, which is what "Drop" does. And so, but that was like right on the edge of that's trumpet solo. <laughs> that tune's right on the edge of. We have a lot to keep track of mentally, but we can still have a really good time playing it. That's and that's always a priority with any group. That I play, that I write music for, is that the music doesn't get in the way of us interacting. Yeah, that's that's a great point, Jared. I wanted to to ask you a little more about the the rhythmic aspect. Um, when I grew up, I was a big fan of a lot of prog rock groups, and and half of the fun of that was you know listening to people play in seventeen eight or whatever. But one thing they never really had was they weren't famous for their groove or anything. They were right. just famous for technical proficiency. Right. So when you're up there playing music that's in 11-8 and the audience never, it ha- like Dan said, it has to sound like something different. Right. But it shouldn't necessarily sound like, oh, this is a really challenging rhythm I'm playing. Right. How do you how do you keep that all together? How do you make that all flow when you're playing in bizarre meters or a form that increases by a bar every time? Uh, that is a good question. I mean, I guess, first, to just praise Dan's music, it's like... Although it is hard, some things are hard, some things are not hard. 
but you know if the audience doesn't understand it they should at least think that you do you know (laughs) (laughs) well put because if you're not having fun up there or look like you're enjoying it then why should they even if it's really hard and you're playing you know giant steps at 400 or 11-8 queek and drop and whatever but you know the way the dance music flows in particular between even song to song it's very it's very enjoyable but there's a lot of layers to build on and a lot of things to do differently every time it's still it still has a lot of room for growth especially you know if we were playing every night as a band I think we would go you know to way different directions but and then to, to I guess comment on your question I mean groove is always the most important thing to me even if something is in 11-8 or has a bizarre form, extra bars, it's still got to feel good. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, if you're playing playing for people. I mean, I guess it's, it's not that I approach things differently when recording, but you know, when you when you're playing for a live audience, you want to you want things to, to groove. Well, I guess I don't know. I kind of think about it more and more, but. In my particular vision, everything should have some sort of groove. Well, even if you're playing free, like when Eli and I were playing f- like free over this one chorale-like section, you know, the interaction was there and, you know, deep below there was still a groove between us two and as another layer above this chorale that Dan and Robin were playing. So, yeah, I mean, groove is like the most important thing and I, I always remember Clay Jenkins saying, it's got a groove, Yeah, you know? But it sounds like in this case you're using the word groove to mean something different than just pulse. I mean, when you, cause, because you said like when you were playing free with Eli, it doesn't right. have to be something. Flow. It's a flow or a feeling. Rhythmic awareness. Yeah, rhythmic yeah. awareness. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's also I saw Edgar Meyer. I saw Edgar Meyer do a talk once, and he made it. What I thought was an amazing point. He says all music has a pulse, and sometimes it's a flexible pulse. But it's like all music has some kind of pulse or some kind of rhythmic reference, and sometimes it can move around. It doesn't always have to be perfectly steady. But it, music that he likes and music that we like all has some kind of reference to it, or else it's kind of meaningless. Yeah, well, I think that's a that's a great place to uh, to bring it to a close. That's Dan Loomis, uh, bassist and the composer of the music that uh, we heard today. Robin Verheyen uh, was on saxophones, Jared Schoenig on the drums, and Eli Asher on trumpet. Guys, thanks all very much for being on the show. It's great to talk to you all. Thank you.
That's Dan Loomis and his quartet. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of The Jazz Session is also available for free at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. This show has an email mailing list. You can join it by clicking on the mailing list link at thejazzsession.com. If you're on Facebook, they have a little search box in the upper right-hand corner. You just type in The Jazz Session, and you'll find the group for this show. Either way is a great way to stay in touch with what's happening on the show and also to find out about the giveaways of uh, free music and other things that come from the show. The theme music for this program is by the Respect Sextet, online at respectsextet.com. Actually, Eli Asher, who uh, we just finished hearing from, is in the Respect Sextet. (laughs) He's also in the Respect Sextet. I think I just butchered the name of the band. Thanks to uh, Dave Rabel, too, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. This show is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States License. You can find out more about that by visiting the website and going all the way to the bottom and clicking on the license. Thank you so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.